0: And welcome to the Life Support Live Podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimachek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. (laughs) Hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. This week, we are talking about wisdom. Um, There's a lot,
1: actually, for us to talk about here, and uh, we want to get started right away by hearing your thoughts what is your favorite Star Trek episode that features wisdom, a wise character, um, a wise course of action, wise advice? Let us know in the comments below. Well, hey, Larry, if this is... Um... Yes, sir.
2: <laughs> uh, aside from telling everybody what we're doing, I know, I think our audience this morning is going, okay, wait a minute, guys. We started off with PTSD and depression and anxiety and, and, and lack of sleep, and now we're doing wisdom what kind of a traumatic (laughs) topic is that
1: this week's star trek discovery episode we weren't sure which direction to go the reason for that is we really want to do something that's new and different than the stuff we've talked about in previous episodes and then we also want to take that theme and use it to explore New episodes, or at least episodes that might be new to Life Support Live. New aspects of the canon that we haven't quite discussed before. So, with that in mind, we asked you all on our Facebook uh, group, and uh, today's topic is actually inspired by what Jared said. And what he said, uh, we asked um, ideas for this week's uh, episode, and Jared said... Just because you aren't up to date doesn't mean you aren't useful. And that got Larry and I thinking, well, okay, what are the different ways where we can take that theme? Um, one is older technology is uh, still useful. And then the more we kept playing with it, the more we kept coming back to this idea of wisdom that... Um, your experience has given you some type of perspective that might be really useful in the situation. And we don't necessarily want to dismiss someone because they might not at first glance appear to have as much to uh, to to offer. Um Oh, Jared says, funny that you pick wisdom. There's actually a book released this week titled The Wisdom of Picard. I remember seeing an ad for that, um, but I, uh, I I forgot about that. That was a while ago. So, yeah, thanks, Jared. Uh, very, uh, very excited um, to, to talk about this. Oh, and Scott says, and don't forget Mr. Spock's... Um, <clears throat> uh mr spock's little book of mindfulness cairo says uh older technology still useful like the book of samuel coagley attorney-in-law <laughs> good good one there first off non-spoiler impressions of this week's uh episode of discovery um i know scott mentioned in his comments that he really enjoyed it larry what were your thoughts on uh, non-spoiler thoughts on this week's disco
2: well, this week's disco was awesome. They walk in to Starfleet headquarters, and there's a 3D representation of the of, Gala- of the galaxy map that I worked on. And I yeah. was frame-grabbing. And then I heard other stuff happen in the show, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I saw not only was, was that your map, but you got a little shout-out on Twitter. Uh, uh, yeah,
2: and I and it's not you know my map. I worked on the latest version of it and did the last updates. So it's always Mike's baby, and then Jeff did the you know original groundbreaking work on it, uh, Jeff Mandel, after Mike Akuda. But and and with Mike McMaster and with Franz Joseph Schnabel before that, uh, working on versions. But yeah, I was just blown away. It was it's beautiful, and they they haven't shown it. And the graphic designer and I or the art director and I started talking on Twitter about it, and he promised more views coming up. As if yes. they need anything else besides views of the star map. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, those actors keep insisting on getting in the way. But um, no, it was a, the overall the show was great. The, then the ship nerds all had plenty to nerd out about because, and I, you know what, people went gaga. If it hadn't been all the pre-show hype about the USS Nog, spoilers actually has nothing to do with the show. But I was busy like. It's over at the side. People are all like it was right in your face, and it wasn't. And I totally missed it the first time. because It wasn't because of the star map. I was looking at everything else in the scene, the things that you could see easier. But anyway, but aside from that, it was – I, I, Sean, I know the writer Sean a little bit. We, we talked and interviewed before, but I thought it was a great episode. It had Starfleety drama. It had a little mystery, a little spooky – it had all these weird little you could tell the beginning of personal arcs with with um, with uh, with Cronenberg, the director there being you know, what is he? like yeah I kept wanting to smoke a cigarette and put it down <laughs> I want it to be the I want it to be the new version of the Trek files. Um, yeah, I just wanted him to bust out with a cigarette and put it in an ashtray. Uh, but yeah, the the Georgeu plot, uh, the end of the line for for non maybe. But anyway, um, a lot of interesting pieces that I thought was – I could not believe how much story there was. I kept looking at the clock, and I don't mean in a bored way. I'm like, they're going to wrap this up? and Oh, my God, it's only 30 minutes. It's only been 40 minutes. I just thought it was a really jam-packed show for all the right reasons and and made sense going from A to B. And then I'm thinking, what are we going to talk about this week because I could see three or four plots. And there was one scene – I may talk about it later. There's one scene that really spoke to me. It's part of our theme today, and we kind of came back around to it as we stumbled around for themes. But what did you think?
1: Uh, you know, I, I'm really loving this, um, this season of Star Trek Discovery, Larry. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but uh, one of the sit- comedy sitcoms my wife and I like to watch is Superstore. Um, we uh, we really love this show, and I'm, I know this feels like a tangent, but I will promise I will bring it back around.
2: Because um, what we don't allow on this show is tangents.
1: It's, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, we love watching Superstore, and it just recently came back, and it came back in a very COVID way, where COVID is part of the storyline. This uh, The series picks up right back in February and March of this year as COVID is starting to happen in the United States. Well, I didn't really enjoy it because it felt um, a little bit too close to home, and a lot of the, uh, it was just not very, it wasn't very funny to me to make these jokes about social distancing and masks. Like it, it felt like it was, there wasn't enough separation between reality and this. Um too and soon. Super, so, What's that? <laughs> too soon? Too soon. It felt like it was yeah. too soon. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I've I've enjoyed about Superstore is it does tackle some, a lot of real world themes. Um, it, it's tackled, um, issues related to ICE and immigration enforcement in the United States and, and a lot of stuff. So it's a show that, that can tackle contemporary themes well, but it was just hard for me to joke about or laugh about COVID in this way. Anyways, I mention all of that because this season of Star Trek Discovery Seems to be very much about now and about being in an uncertain future and being, um, having to navigate and not know a lot of information Mm -hmm. and having to really rely on each other and issues of trust and issues of connection and love in a very, in a time where it's very hard to have hope. So it's both very distant. I mean, we're talking about 32nd century here but it's also it. feels like the like there's so much social commentary here and this is all written and shot i was gonna say Cohen. this was all written
2: and shot over yeah a year and a half ago well yeah. uh, before for written conceived and written over a year before february march and they started yeah. shooting like in june july of 2019 yeah yeah so i am. Um, Every week. These locations in Iceland, they're going to love
1: this. It's like, no. <laughs> it's so Every good. week seems to be more and more relevant to the world we live in now. So, um, as Linda says, exactly as Star Trek should be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly how I feel. So, um, each episode has given us something really to enjoy. And yeah, the ship nerds like myself were really enjoying that. I'm loving <laughs> the, the sets and the art direction here all the programmable matter, how that plays mm-hmm. out. Um, really enjoying that. Uh, I loved seeing, um, there was a little bit of, I saw a little bit of the motion picture and also Star Trek 2009 in that moment where the crew is sort of at the window and they're looking at um, at all the ships and they're sort of like, oh my gosh, look at that, look at that, look at that. Um, mm-hmm. um, I love that. Um, I didn't pick up on USS Nog when I watched it that blew up on social media. Um I didn't I didn't see the detail there. I definitely noticed the USS Voyager NC oh, right. 74, yes. six, 74 six six. 656 yeah. J. Um I take that as J for Janeway. Um that was very cool. <laughs> um and then and then obviously there's a story which yeah, you're right, there's we could have gone in, in many different directions with this episode. One of the things we were thinking about, there is a theme of home. What does home mean? Your friendships, relying on... Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about chosen family a little bit, but wisdom seemed to be the right the right Who thing. Who you choose
2: to name ships after. There's many Who things. Choose- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
1: Many things. Um, we- not only ships, but the class. Um, yeah. Apparently Which- the class...
2: Yeah, which I, you know, okay, that's, it's a nerd thing, but the.
1: Give me the uh, nerd thing. Now it's your nerd. It's
2: John Eves, who's a great friend who knows his Star Trek, who loves ship designing, and people love John Eves' ships since, since, uh, generations and since early next, uh, DS9, but they keep, he keeps naming these, like, the Discovery is, is, uh, there was the Discovery and the Glenn, and those were supposed to be the only two ships. But the class is called the Crossfield class, which is named for a test pilot, and that's cool. But it's like, where's the USS Crossfield? <laughs>
0: it's like, <laughs>
2: well, I don't, you know, and so now we've got the Eisenberg class. So the ships in this class are named for, my head cannon immediately was people who were the first of their planet to be in Starfleet. Mm. So in my head cannon, there's a USS Wharf out there somewhere, and mm. I don't know, go down the list. But then I'm like, so there's a USS Eisenberg because Eisenberg was the first Jewish human in, Spain, <laughs> in Starfleet? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I, what does that mean? Anyway, I know it's a nice homage and people are all wrapped up in it, and, you know, weepy and smiley. But part of my Star Trek brain is going, okay, okay. Yeah, the
1: Starfleet of 32nd century works I, a little bit differently, maybe on their uh, ship. You're not trivial, Come on,
2: listen to your own, <laughs> own contras. Yeah, well, um, you know.
1: Scott, um, Scott says, uh, Admiral Vance's costume was gorgeously constructed. And, and that's something else I've really been enjoying is, um, is the, the costumes, mm-hmm. the, the set design, all the art direction I think is, is really, uh, wonderful. It's just nice, Larry, to see a, a very, uh, a, a kind of a reimagining of what all of this can be in, in much the same way as TNG was for TOS. You know, it's, it's, it's just, It's nice. It's (laughs) nice to be so far in the future that we don't have to have these debates about, well, why do they have all this advanced holographic technology? Like like
2: Jared said back here. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Uh, I'm liking that we're getting away from canon. It's
2: a thousand years in the future. Except now this is canon. That kind of thing always kills me because it's like, well, this is canon now. This is what the 32nd century looks like. Right. For everybody who's going right. to cosplay it and build props and everything.
1: We're, well, we're getting away from the story
2: we know. 24th so century, can, can, yeah. century canon. 23rd century canon. That's all we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's a... Okay, that's a, this is a topic from my show on Tuesdays. <laughs> this is what I, People get lost in... It's like, no, this is simple. It's like, this is 23rd century canon up to that and here And so they're playing with it. Now, I I was confused because when they first started talking about the Teakoff, the seed ship, Yes. She says in the 23rd century, the Tikhoff, you know, was a seed ship, like the vault in Norway or Sweden, wherever it is. Uh, The doomsday seed vault, you know. And uh, oh, it's Tekla. All
0: right, Tekla.
2: Um, We're just popping out of the show to say
1: hi to you as well. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Don't say that. I will pop out of the show.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. She did earlier. All right.
2: Anyway, the Teikhoff, and then they go, he says, well, yeah, the Teikhoff is over here. And I'm like, wait, they've had a, through the burn and everything, they've had a seed ship, the same ship for 800 years. And then they show it as the M. And I'm like, okay, did they mean, it's like, there's a weird thing now where it's like, oh, she says, what, that's the 11th generation. And I guess they mean the evolution. That's the 11th. It's like what they, (laughs) it's like, the the void, the intrepid design class with the, uh, with the needle nose you know, the spoon-faced uh, primary hull or whatever. It's like, we're, every time we upgrade and name a new ship Voyager, it's going to have that same shape, and we're just going to put new... Anyway, there were a couple of, like, weird little... I was like, what? What?
1: Uh, I was a little surprised to see um, the Voyager <laughs> silhouette
0: the t- so similar. Up like, the
2: same ship 800 years later, and then they put M on it, and I went, so the seed ship is always going to be called the The Teacov? I mean, I'm like, what? Okay different ship maybe
1: they um maybe they're running out of
2: things to name name ships (laughs) well this is shrinking well i'm still trying to figure out why earth is not a member anymore but everybody running around are plainly earth you know admiral vance that's such an admiral name admiral vance i was like wow that's are you sure earth isn't a member and still sending these guys over
1: Yeah, I mean, so Kyra has a point, the Enterprises maintain, um, a bit of an aesthetic, and we haven't seen the full cut of that, um, of the USS Voyager J. Um, I, -hmm. speaking of the Enterprise, I think the Enterprise is a goner. I don't think there is an Enterprise in the 32nd century. Um, given what happened with the burn, I think if there was an Enterprise, I don't know, at that point, it would be, we're getting late in the alphabet here. Um, I don't know, the Enterprise X? I don't know, whatever it might have been. But um, I think the Enterprise was probably active. And uh, Thank
2: you, Scott. Anyway, yeah. I was trying to remember... I was trying to remember the Benzite that was the first in Starfleet, and Scott got it there, USS Mendon. So, anyway.
1: so let's, let's talk about wisdom. Uh, oh, we can oh. keep out about, uh, this is not the uh, Utopia Polynesia live uh, show. This is Life Support Live. Uh, Larry, when it comes to wisdom, I think there's a few different ways. It <laughs> If you want to do Utopia Polynesia live, <laughs> we can talk about that. Get um, your
2: show, bucko. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I would love to do a show where I just talk about Star Trek models for like an hour with folks because uh, I have I love the Star Trek models. Anyways,
2: um, oh, you mean like the Maisie a... series, the Barbara series, the oh no, forget it, forget it. Okay, went over my
1: head. Uh, I, okay, not so, androids, models. Uh, Oh, the, the oh! 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wisdom. see.
2: I see. Have Wh- yeah. the wisdom to shut up and move on with your topic? Yes.
1: <laughs> let's talk about. Let's talk about wisdom. Um, there's a few different ways where I think it plays out. So one is technically these people are all so much older <laughs> than uh, everyone in Discovery is quote older, depending on what your views are of time travel and age and how you define all of that sort of stuff um maybe they're not older than admiral vance and just in terms of from their own life perspective but their their information can feel so out of date because they are from the 23rd century and yet michael and the crew of the discovery have so much more to offer so that's one piece of wisdom there um and and how they approach this problem is very different than how starfleet Mm -hmm. 32nd century star- Starfleet is approaching it, but I think there's another real angle of wisdom with Hugh. Um, Hugh's character here, boy, um, he's had some Dr. wonderful. Col- yes, yes, not not Borg Hugh. Hugh
0: Hugh Hugh. No, not Q, Hugh, Q, no, but, not Q yeah. Hugh.
1: No, no, no. I should I should clarify. Thank you, Larry. Uh, he's had some wonderful moments uh, these past few episodes, and I think in this episode in particular, he offers a lot of wisdom um, in, in much the traditional way of thinking about it, as someone who's able to to distill a lot of information down in a very helpful way and share it with someone else. Um, I, I thought he was really the epitome of wisdom in, in this episode. What's... But-
2: what scene are you talking about? Um, when um, on I think the... of him doctoring on the Keeley and I think of his interrogation scene where he goes, yeah, I died. <laughs>
1: um, wasn't he giving advice to both Michael as well as um, is it non um, about how to move forward and or oh yeah he might...
2: on the, he's in the away team right right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah on the away team um uh, really about like mortality it's like such like a separate
2: little episode it's like the away team episode was like a whole which is cool that's a compliment yeah but it's like yeah
1: it's there was a lot as you were saying there's a lot packed into mm-hmm. this episode um and that was another theme we we're thinking about we're like oh my gosh well grief is a big theme of this episode too so um um i think the discovery crew in general was able to, uh, had a lot of wisdom to share um a starfleet that was um really struggling uh struggling to survive
2: well although i would say when he she finally gets him to say it's 85 planets down from or whatever it is 80 you know whatever i was like oh well that's still a lot <laughs> it's like well that's like not like it's earth <laughs> and our moon And we're, you know, and we lost Earth or something. It's like, oh, that's, that's something. (laughs) But no, it's (laughs) like 850 or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So let's let's go from there, and I while I have it, uh, put up the screen. Um, you know, fully into the briefing room now. <laughs> <We're> there. <laughs> so let's let's kind of use this to explore other aspects of <clears throat> of the canon of Star Trek stories. Um, when we think about wisdom in Star Trek, uh, what comes to your mind,
2: Larry? Uh, well, you know, and there's one more thing I want to say about this show too. That there's, I think. Something that struck a resonance with me is we, the audience, know who the Discovery crew are. And and Vance and Willa and this new uh, recurring set of characters, I guess, They're, it totally, the maddening thing was they were totally doing due diligence to figure out who these people are. Even as we were, you know, and every time they say, well, this, 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 it's like, it's not in our records. I'm sorry, we have no record of that in our files, you know. Yeah. It's like I'm sorry, we digitized our files after that. Your your paperwork is all gone.
1: Well, I I, I and I love that callback to the finale of last season. Um, well, now yeah. it's now it's uh, kicking them in the butt, being yes. wiped from all Starfleet records.
2: <laughs> but the frustration when they're trying to make their case, and and you know eventually the details start to fall in. Well, their ships logs, their ships records, their personal stories. This is one great math. <laughs> I don't there's a resonant thing for today. If this really was a conspiracy, millions of people have been in on it. It's pretty, yeah, it's yeah. a pretty great conspiracy. But at the same time, the maddening from the people who are in it, who are innocent and just doing what they're doing and to be disbelieved by somebody, you know, that you're good. Basically it's like, we're the good guys. Like, why don't you, why don't you get that? We're the good guys. And having to prove yourself again, like again, it's almost – it's like a massive case of, don't you know who I am? <laughs> you know? And uh, that, that was – it was like, uh, yeah. And she has to say, look, we are obviously people with a specific skill set, and nobody else here has – you know, she's not only saying we're not only not out of sync and out of time and useless, like, like the main episode that came to mind in a minute we're going to talk about. She not only says, look, not only are we not – relics that are useless we're the only people that know certain stuff we are your best freshest link to you know getting back to what makes you anyway yeah i thought she made a great case for hey forget that we're unique damn it and you deserve (laughs) we deserve some respect in a special place here we're very useful and we're very valuable and you're crazy to overlook a resource like this right in your face that's that's what yeah we're a resource and you're ignoring it. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and that was something else we um, we thought about discussing is um, there's a huge aspect to creativity and creativity yeah. and problem solving. A lot of times, w- the best creativity comes from bringing people with very different experiences, different backgrounds, different Being perspectives. outside
0: the box.
1: Yeah, yeah. Get them in the same room, mm-hmm. focus on the same problem. And they're going to tackle it all a little bit differently. And that's often how you get creative breakthroughs. And that's exactly what Michael Burnham, Saru, and the crew of Discovery have to offer. Um, it, what they have is not outdated. What they have is uh, an incredibly different perspective. Um, you see this, um, this isn't spoiling anything, but you see this towards the end of the episode where... Um, Admiral Vance says, you know, this Starfleet has taken a lot of beating. Like exploration mm-hmm. is not our primary objective. It seems like survival, fairy much is. Which again, Larry. Right. That felt like a 2020 theme for me. Um, Yeah. You yeah. Know, we're we're just in survival mode here, just trying to get through. Um And but um there's, and
2: there's the a lot of the spine of the uh, animated show that Dave Rossi and uh and and Doug um pitched <laughs> that was going to be on star trek.com. Sorry, K factor mm. there. I've, I've, yeah. This.
0: Oh, I forgot about that.
2: there there's a whole litany of people and people in groups who have, who are seeing pieces of things done over the fallow times in the last couple of years popping up this season. And everybody's like, oh well. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to derail the thing. That was that really. Th- this whole theme really sh- struck me of the people of the diversity. It's another commentary, sadly, though, about if you don't have a ro- if you're going to have a room full of yes men or yes people, you're 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 going to fail. <laughs> you're going to be yes. miserably. <clears throat> if you don't accept the challenge of other other points of view, even yes. when they're not like, in conflict, just for creativity's sake, much less yeah, getting down to nitty gritty, you know, conflicts that that can be anticipated. Not not even what's it the problem that's in your face at the moment, but anticipating other potential other other challenges and then how to face those so you're not just a deer in the headlights when something well, happens
1: Well Larry you know that that's one of my favorite um most important messages from all of social psychology is, is groupthink and how dangerous it is mm-hmm. when you have people who agree with you in the same room um and w- many weeks ago we talked about the um the space shuttle challenger documentary on on Netflix which is really wonderful and fantastic it's a it's a massive warning of what happens when um, when we ignore dissent when we do not allow dissent um, it can be very disastrous Um here's got a great comment here there's there's a lot of different kinds of wisdom <coughs> in star trek there's guidance traditional wisdom from age and her species data's childlike wisdom um, mm-hmm. t- uh, teaches his peers a lot Quark's practicing Ferengi wisdom, Libby would very much appreciate that, <laughs> uh, compared to coining Root Beer Federation. federation. I- <laughs> <DLS>. <laughs> I know, so, uh, it's like Root Beer, uh, one of my favorite quotes. There's there's a lot of wonderful—Zaheer, uh, What Zaheer, I, I really like your comment because it, it kind of speaks to— um, I'm just going to sneak—you gave a little mini K3. I'm going to give a mini— um, uh, counselor's log here larry um it speaks to the definition of wisdom as we define it in psychology it's the ability of an individual to make sound decisions to find the right or at least good answers to difficult and important life questions and to give advice about the complex problems of everyday life and interpersonal relationships notice it doesn't require age Like, we often think that wisdom is something that you only gain through age. And sometimes older people are also wiser people, but not necessarily. Um, We can all find more wisdom in life. You know, there's there's some things that my daughter at three years old is very much an expert at that I am not. She knows her toys and her environment and what she's capable of doing with these things way better than i am and i approach those toys in a very fixed way but she can do things with her magnetiles that i would never even dream to do um but she's far wiser <laughs> when it comes to her day-to-day life than i am you know so there's um uh see here that's why i really like what you mentioned Gile- um giles who's child Um, data's childlike wisdom. um, It's a very different perspective that often, Mm -hmm. um, helps the crew to understand something more so with that larry let's let's dive in we've got a lot of yes. um a lot yeah. of canon to talk about and if you all have shows that you think really feature wisdom at its at its best in star trek let us know um i think we got a few examples early on but larry um where do you want to where do you want to
2: start oh well let's start with the one that i i i just want to say too before we get further along all the good comments in the chat coming up but i wanted to say hello to de La cruz who looks like is a new person in our community. Hello. Who just said? Who just said? With age comes wisdom. With wisdom comes respect. With respect comes honor. Gee, there's a reason why truisms are called truisms. Um, well, yes.
1: <laughs> and, and I think there's something to be said about um, these sayings or messages that have been passed forward in time for years and years and years. I think there is a lot of wisdom there um, that we should we should really listen to. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, Larry,
2: no, where should we get started? Yeah, the, the one that, the show that came to mind, the episode that came to mind, for both of us, I think, popped in immediately, was Scotty and and Jordy in Relics. The Especially this notion of, I, I think that what drew us to this wisdom, we didn't specify, but the original point was, everybody has something to contribute, and no one is, is a relic. Uh, hi! Uh, yeah, no one's a relic, everybody has something, and especially if... <laughs> It's, a, it's part of that whole thing of everybody who's not – you know who, uh, getting away from groupthink. Well, th- if you're a century – if you pop in from a century ago, much less 800 cent- – eight centuries ago, you're, you're going to have a different perspective. It doesn't always have to be, oh, look, we need somebody with information from 100 years ago on this ship or 800 years ago for what we used to have. Uh, but yeah, having somebody in the – I first heard it talk, people talk about a corporate memory. Not whether it's a corporation or not, but somebody who's been there the longest and can go back, institutional you know, the program, knowledge. When they're trying to, when they're trying to repair the NASA rovers on yeah. Mars, and they have to go back and get people who were in who knew eighties and nineties programming, you know, pull out the original code books and look at the – Those kinds of things. When they're looking at, uh, we're looking at during Y two K, and they were having to go back and get programmers from the sixties.
1: <laughs>
2: right. I remember. That's the easy kind. But yeah, when we first mentioned, we started honing in on this topic. Uh, definitely, um, uh, the, the relics scenes with Scotty and, Geordie came to mind. Poor Jordy. He just, he's so brilliant, but he jumps out. It's like, it's, it wasn't even a woman this time. And it was, he wasn't even a dating issue. He's <laughs> on the wrong page at the beginning, but he, see, he sees the era of his ways.
1: Well, I see what you did. I see what you did there, Larry. Um, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what, is so great about this episode is uh when i first saw it i remember seeing Jordy in this light didn't make me feel good at first um because geordie was such a character i looked up to and to see him sort of dismiss scotty early on mm-hmm. was um uh, I had such a vis- visceral reaction to it. I was I was kind of upset at Jordy, and I remember feeling really sad for Scotty too. This uh, beloved uh mm-hmm. character uh, who should be revered for being the miracle worker that he that he uh that he is. Yeah. Um and 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 you know the scene where uh you know I want to see the bridge of the Enterprise Nobility A B C or D um, and to see that interaction between him and Picard uh, kind of breaks my heart at the end of it, um, but then to see where everyone comes um, full circle at the end, um, and to see Geordi um, uh, that that Geordi is capable of overlooking someone himself—that you know they are fallible. Um, it, it was it was very unique for TNG, I think, to have this. Um, this conflict and to show the, uh, our human characters on the Enterprise-D as being fallible. I mean, this is more DS9 territory, right? Um, so I, I love that the episode features that, as difficult as it was for me to watch it when I first did. And it, it does show us that um, it's not your... There's more to someone than their technological expertise. This gets mm-hmm. right back to what Jared said. Just because you know something might be older doesn't mean it doesn't still have value, that there is so much to gain from experience, um, whether or not that experience is with the newest technology.
2: Right. Well, I, I missed this when he first said it, but I think I'm actually caught up in the chat. So drink on that one. Um,
1: <laughs> is that is that where I Jared had a that. comment
2: here? He says just a few back. Forget Y2K, my example. Think about lockdown when they were having to get COBOL programmers – COBOL? COBOL? I never had to say that out loud. They had to get oh, COBOL, COBOL out loud programmers to fix the unemployment systems, which may have been a Florida thing or where you were, but I totally get it. Some of these some of these systems have been the uh, same thing. They've been around for a long time. They had to go back and get these antiquated languages. That That whole thing about living on the cutting edge, like if everybody lived on the cutting edge, then it wouldn't be the cutting edge. there's a lot lot of people like you know at all stages back behind and we depend so much in life depends on you know throwback technology or no technology and that's a perfect example when you should it's just like when we went into lockdown and all of a sudden you know drivers and delivery people you know that made nothing were suddenly keeping the country going keeping the culture going and all of a sudden oh the essential worker is the guy making less than minimum wage or gal uh so yeah um Charlotte, ending your 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 perspective on what's what's important. What's that?
1: Charlotte says yeah. this makes me think of when Voyager went back to the '90s, and Jadeway is really not good at typing on the keyboard, and of course, Scotty's iconic "Hello, computer." Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Kirk driving yeah. a Model T.
2: Kirk driving a Model T. <laughs> I always forget. Couldn't. So he wasn't much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right i always forget about voyager coming back to was it 94 90, 96 that they came back ninety six. to that's
2: half our tour business that's half our tour business <laughs> <laughs> for, for location sites thank god for future's end yeah
1: <laughs> i remember yeah. um i mean it's such a key episode that's where he gets his mobile the doctor gets his mobile mm-hmm. transmitter um yeah either. i think yeah 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 um uh, that's uh, relics is is really a wonderful episode that really um epitomizes that um I, sent I also... you a
2: picture and I sent you an image and everything
1: yeah 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 I showed it it was right here oh you did Robert oh did. I missed oh, yeah. okay oh yeah you did you did
2: okay yeah. <laughs> in my memory okay
1: yeah, it's, a, it's been a long week Larry it's been a long it's week it a,
2: a short morning okay it's
1: been a... uh <laughs> yeah it's been a <laughs> long road getting from there to here um but um so, uh, let's uh, let's jump around the timeline, because today's very wacky. I want to talk a little bit about um, the Kelvin timeline, and I want to talk about uh Spock. This is timeline. something
2: I never would have thought of, but then again, I don't think of the Kelvin timeline, but yeah. You don't. I've noticed
1: this. You often oh. don't think of the Kelvin timeline, and I often don't have any memory of TOS episodes until you remind me of them.
2: <laughs> One of them was around for... 40 years, and watched by billions of people. One of them has been around for 10 years and watched by slightly less. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh,
1: Fair enough. Um, But I will say most of the people that have seen the Kelvin films probably have not seen uh, the original series. uh, Or were not alive then. Um, Anyways. (laughs) I want to talk about Spock Prime. And um, there's there's a... uh, a a lot of moments of of wisdom um especially in the 2009 star trek film featuring spock prime um going from his first meeting with kirk and some of the advice that he has to give him and Mm -hmm. kirk's like how am i gonna how am i gonna get you emotionally compromised and he's like dude Trust me, I am emotionally compromised. Like, he understands himself. He has a lot of wisdom of understanding himself and understanding what Spock uh, in the Kelvin timeline is probably going through. And he also, as we meet him uh, just a a few times over the course of that movie, um, towards the end where he's meeting, uh, Spock Prime meets uh, Kelvin timeline uh, Spock, there's, there's wisdom there in, um, the advice that he has to give, um, give to Spock. There's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of uh, elder statesmen um, of Star Trek uh, mm-hmm. in Leonard Nimoy's Spock in that scene. Um, even in Star Trek Into the Darkness, the very small cameo that Leonard Nimoy's uh, Spock Prime has. You know, how did you defeat Khan um, at, at great cost, I, I think is what he said. Which, boy, that would be really weird. Like, how do you explain that? Well, I sacrificed myself to save the ship. However... My body was shot down at the Genesis planet, and the uh, regenerating properties of that planet brought me back to life, and now I'm here, but actually that was the other parallel timeline. Now I'm actually here. Like, boy, <laughs> I wish we got a little bit more of that conversation. <laughs> like, how did Spock Prime...
2: <laughs> how
1: did you have, he, like, you have
2: temporal police in this uh, timeline. Right, right,
1: right. <laughs> so, um, I think you, you're seeing... A Kelvin Timeline Spock that does not have that wisdom, um, with who's very young and very much trying to understand all the stuff, um, who tad tattletales on Kirk in Star Trek in The Darkness for everything he went through, right? Um, set against a very, probably the most wise character we have in the entire canon. Um, so I think that when it speaks to wisdom, those two characters really uh, highlight it.
2: I was just wait. He was talking to Guinan. What? Oh, okay. I, no. You said the most wise character in all the canon. So I,
1: I, uh, well, if you want to debate that,
2: I don't. I was just kidding. I know what. Oh, okay, 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 okay. 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 <laughs> but say what you want Say what you want to say. Because I. Well, I if mean, it's if you. I mean, this if is it's... actually on topic. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, if you want to debate Guinan um, and Spock Prime. Um,
0: Spock. It's, I don't
1: think it's it's a very fair debate because we've seen so much more of Spock than we have of Guinan. However, we know Guinan is so much older, and like her go-to character trait is wisdom. So it's I feel like it's just apples and oranges here.
2: And Guinan in the 1890s was not all that. I mean, she was hiding from her dad or mm-hmm. whatever through there. At some point in her life, she was hiding from her dad, but she's very abrupt and curt and short with Picard right she doesn't go oh i mean her first her first instincts there are not and you can tell she's got another 2 or 300 years more mileage on her uh, by watching her
0: 1893
1: self <laughs> scott um let's see um yes we should probably add this to the drinking game uh do we drink when ollie brings up the kelvin time <laughs> kelvin universe well it's gonna have to be me because you know larry's not gonna bring it up um and apparently oh. i triggered uh larry Nemichek there um Uh-oh. what yes, did i do i did oh i just triggered you larry it's okay oh. um all right so let's get back to the prime timeline here uh larry uh what would you what do you want to talk about next
2: well, see, the only danger of having a, a theme like, oh, I don't know, wisdom, is that it can, you know, I mean, I keep gravitating to people of age, of experience over those. And those are some of the easy topics that came up. I was really, here's where I was really, guys, hoping that the chat would kind of illuminate this. Because we, we were talking, like, uh, that was next generation-y. Uh, there was one from the original series, though, that I yeah. I threw in at the last second, kind of. Um, and it almost gets back to one of the tropes of the original series with all of Gene's the the super advanced aliens and all of that. But one that I thought kind of hit home. I mean, the Metron standing there in his Greek robe, lo- telling Kirk and the Gorn not to kill each other or or kill it, you know, fight it out, and we'll see what happens. And Kirk realizes on his own. No, but the Organians in Erin of Mercy*, and I set you on you know what it's like in this case it's almost like out of the mouths of babes oh look they're not babes they're senior elders and they're right and the scene where kirk and Kor, the klingons and the federation are like you know like you can interfere with our right to kill him (laughs) 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 you know that whole that whole thing it's a little i I don't know i just now had a flash of mask wearing overlay onto that Mm -hmm. but um but yeah, that's that's one of those things that it's the, the the bad thing about the original series is to watch them a billion times apiece and and forget some of the simplest aspects of you mm-hmm. know the implications. But that's one. That's where extreme longevity in the in the wisdom allows people to go, ah, this whole fighting and competing over resources and space, we're so over it.
1: Yeah, and that also speaks to some of the stuff I want to get into in the counselor's log about, um, about wisdom and age. And it's not something that's necessarily automatically there. You don't necessarily automatically Mm -hmm. get wise, but it does require you to sort of temper a little bit. Um, and, and listen and think before you react. Um, and, and this, uh, this was something in my show notes that, um, I was going to bring up later, but I'll bring it up now. Um, no, Larry, one of our favorite topics. Um I, this is going to sound like we're tooting our own horn, but hey, it's our show, so I guess we can't do that. Um one of the, one of my favorite topics, whenever we you and I do a panel
0: uh-huh.
1: back um in the before times when we used to meet in real life. Um one of the topics that what often um that What we
0: is this
2: about, real life of which you speak?
1: it's when you could actually see people and not wear a mask and actually give each other hugs.
2: That's when like... you could actually get outside the box.
1: You could, Yeah. Yeah. Where we didn't just exist with this blue border <laughs> around us. Um, back in those times, um, something you and I talk about often is how Star Trek canon has been reinvented, um, about every, no, I shouldn't say Star Trek canon has been reinvented, but, um, Star Trek storytelling has been reinvented every every few decades. Mm-hmm. And the similar patterns always play out. As people say, this new stuff is nothing like my old stuff. And um, the old stuff is is better and the new stuff is harming it. Whether it was um, TO, uh, TNG, um, whether it was uh, the Kelvin timeline or Discovery and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, or, or the
2: animated series. Or, or the animated series. Like the Wrath of Khan, right. or I right. mean, yeah,
1: yes, right, exactly, exactly. Um, um, yeah, just because the the those movies featured the original series crew doesn't mean that they were uh, welcomed um, in the way that we welcome them now. The um, I think that that uh, being able to have that perspective does require getting closer <laughs> to that wise place of tempering your response first, looking at all of the knowledge and the whole big picture and trying to see patterns here. Um, that's a lot of what, what comes with wisdom and this where wisdom is different than wisdom is different than knowledge and intelligence. Um, it requires you to be able to temper and get perspective and to share that perspective. And that's something that, um, I always enjoy in our conversations and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the parallel here is no seeing those patterns is very different than having knowledge of star trek it's very different than like knowing all the episodes and what happens in all the episodes um it requires you to be able to ha- to have to step back and get a bigger perspective and and that's what wisdoms about
2: oh that's and that's what the tagline of trekland is <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's what we say clarity sanity in the big picture yeah yeah well, yeah we- when you take a mega topic like the planets or the timeline or anything like that, and you start collecting data points, that's why people... It was funny to watch people's heads explode when uh, when Seven of Nine turned up on the Picard series. You know, it's like, but she's a Voyager character. She's not a next generation. It's like, it's the universe. It's That's what I keep saying. It's like to think of all those characters in little boxes, you know. Well, we can't have them because they're not on... Because I said immediately, oh, we'll have – people first said, oh, well, maybe we'll have cameos of all the next-gen people. I'm like, you have cameos from all – this is the chance for everyone who never got a movie to, to be resurrected before we knew who that would be. And look, everything from Seven to, to Brent Spiner playing Soong's to Hugh. I mean, you know, you got a chance to. Other people playing Echeb, um, whatever. But you got a chance. That whole universe. Those most of those people, and some of them. Somebody pe- people kept pointing out that T'Pol was probably still alive from Enterprise. So, hmm. you know, probably not to be played by Jolene, who doesn't want to play T'Pol right now. But anyway, uh, apparently. But no, it's a that's a that, thank you. I mean, I didn't think of it that way, but that's a case. It's like thinking of Star Trek as a as a mass, not as individual series. And well, I like that series better than that series, so I want to see those characters. It's like they all, you know. Yeah. So yeah. so you're welcome.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, um it's uh it's always been a topic I could talk endlessly with you about um uh Scott mentioned um this is way early on in the chat and um mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure we highlighted uh the first duty. The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth. Um the truth. The truth Um, This far, (laughs) I beat you to it. I think you're you're going the same place.
2: And the first the first duty the show to me that forever lives as a show that shows you what a Starfleet Academy dorm room looked like.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and boy, those uniforms did not look comfortable, the cadet uniforms. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you, Starfleet. I'm going to stay in my civilian life. It's whipping life. them in
2: line. It's whipping yeah, them in yeah. line.
1: Yeah. It's setting them up for back problems for a year to, to come. <laughs> um, but Scott mentioned um, the First Duty and, uh, and Boothby. Um, Boothby is a character we see in TNG. He's mentioned, I think he's mentioned in DS9. A um, couple of times
2: yeah well yeah, he was mentioned and the, on TNG before he he, he would say the gardener and booth be the he mentioned him once or twice before they brought him in as a character before character. they brought him
1: in yeah and then they yeah. kept mentioning him um in ds9 we see him again in voyager at least mm-hmm. we see the representation of the character um through the species uh 8472 is that right um, yeah,
2: eight four seven two. Yeah. Hey, We're in in uh, online, but in yeah, online, STO. right,
1: right, right. They sort of recreate Starfleet Academy. Um, anyways, Boothby's <laughs> a character who has seen a lot of Starfleet cadets come and go, has maintained relationship with with them as they become captains, as we see with Jean Luc Picard, and um, he and has Janeway. this wider perspective, and Janeway. Um mm-hmm. and all of these these great Starfleet greats. Um and he has this wider perspective. He has a relationship with them that is outside of the command structure so he can talk frankly. And he also mm-hmm. has seen this big perspective and has so much mm-hmm. so much to share. Just like result. Guinan
2: mm-hmm. Just like Guinan,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Guinan Um and uh Just like Scott. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, th- the more I rewatch Look. Voyager, the more um, Neelix goes up in my ranking and the Doctor sort of comes down a little bit. Uh, Stop watching. Uh, Stop, watching. So. Stop watching. Stop rewatching. <laughs> um, the Doctor's great, um, but I, I, there's only so much Doctor I can take in a day um, if I have too many <laughs> Doctor episodes. Because sometimes they pile up. Um, sometimes there's, there's, uh, there's these moments where it's like, that's, that's a lot of doctor episodes in a short amount of time. Anyways, uh, I guess you could say the same thing about Neelix, but the Neelix episodes never seem to pile up for me. Um, anyways, what am I talking about? Boothby is a great example of that, Scott. Yes, I completely agree. Um, we also had, um, we, we had a few other examples. Speaking of Voyager, um, uh, we really thought about, um, actually, both of these characters, if we think let me make it a little bit bigger. Did you here.
2: like how I did that? I found one where they're both in one piece. <sighs> That's yes.
1: pretty it's, good, Larry. Me, like,
2: find the elder, you know, to me this was kind of a cheat because it was like, well find the elder anybody, and they're gonna be wiser <laughs> than <they're even. laughs>
1: um, this is a great this is a great clip because we actually talked about Timeless. Which is the 100th episode of Voyager, uh, and features a much older um, uh, Harry Kim, a Harry mm-hmm. Kim who is no longer an ensign. Yay, Harry!
2: Alternate <laughs> universe,
1: right? Yeah. I know it doesn't count, um, but uh, he's no longer an ensign. There is some sub proof of that. Uh, I don't know, Larry, if you saw the meme. But that of, he was uh, a
2: captain. That was from Endgame, the finale with yeah yeah, yeah and Endgame. game um, um, right.
1: he's a he's a captain in Endgame, um that parallel universe is still featuring the all good things uniforms um uh the the thing i um <laughs> i don't know if you saw this larry did you see the meme going around of uh acting captain riker from star trek picard um in the in the bridge of uh of his ship and he says uh it, it's just uh, small Texas's. Ensign Kim hailing frequencies open or something like that. Um, I don't know if you saw that. <laughs>
2: <any>. <laughs> no, but I just did.
1: It, in my mind's eye. it cracked me up so much. Um, anyways, <laughs> okay. uh, both um, both Harry Kim, in Timeless as well as Janeway in Endgame, the last episode of Voyager. We thought there's an es- um, an aspect of um, of wisdom here where these. Characters had gained a perspective. They, that sort of, um, again, looked at all the data, um, looked at the big picture and made some conclusions that might, uh, evade other people and are now, they're now making decisions based upon those conclusions that they've enacted. Again, a good yeah. example of how knowledge and intelligence is different than wisdom, that these characters have, have gained a bigger perspective in our, are acting in, in that way with both timeless.
0: And
2: it's empty. almost as if you're designing a role-playing game, you should make them second separate
0: attributes.
2: <laughs> Speaking yeah. of separate ap-
1: attributes, uh Christina with the, with the zinger here. Um, and she says, uh, whenever Neelix shows up too often, Janeway threatens to fuse him again with Tuvok. If he doesn't return to the kitchen. Oh,
2: <laughs> well, let's not, it's amazing to me how the two tu- out of nowhere, the Tuvik's debate has, Bubbled up oh, somehow. Oh man, um, that is a yeah.
1: brilliant, brilliant Voyager episode. Um, the, um, uh, the the acting in the final moments um, uh, with Kate Mulgrew there, I think, is just phenomenal. When she's heading down to Sick Bay, um, oh my gosh, uh, that episode always gets me so good, so good. Um, okay, uh, so yeah, we had that Voyager example. Um, And um, anything you want to... Oh, you also uh, shared this... uh,
2: Well, we were trying to go across... Well, you've popped up... There's the other other Enterprise one. Yep. Where it started off in the series where the Vulcans had all the wisdom, um, supposedly. But uh, it's kind of like that outside-the-box thinking, where the humans were the -the outside-the-box thinkers... Right. And the Vulcans were like, Well, we're the old wise guys of the galaxy, but then of uh, the local space. But then by the end of the series, it shouldn't have been the end of the series, but by the time they started creeping into Federation era awareness, it's the humans outside the boxiness that's helping everybody else come together. Yeah. Just when I, they did too. I, I um um, I love that picture, and it's the only picture in live action that we have like this. So,
1: oh, this is—I yeah. mean, this is Star Trek right here. This is—yeah—this um, is the founding of the Federation. This is all founding uh, members. roots um, well, the,
2: as the as roots, of the Fe- yeah, it's not yeah. deep, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's symbolic. right,
1: right, right, right. This has the founding species, um, as Cairo says, here, right here. Um, so I—I uh, uh, I feel the same. I feel similarly to Enterprise um, as I do with the Kelvin timeline, where I think there's there is so much that um, this series has to offer. And it's often um, um, not at the forefront of a lot of the discussion around Star Trek. And Larry, I think you summed it up really well right there um, where the show begins is with, uh, Vulcans and humans. Now, the Vulcans have a lot of knowledge. The Vulcans have been around. They've been around the block when it comes to the galaxy here. What do the, the Vulcan
2: have... star charts tell us? What do, yeah. Right, yeah.
1: right, yeah. right, right, right. They, they have knowledge. And w- they might have Vulcan wisdom in, in a way that works for Vulcan culture. Um, but when it comes to being able to share their knowledge, in a way that resonates and helps <laughs> humans. That's not, con- not sending
2: there. and stifling. Yes.
1: Right. Right. Like yeah, they don't, yeah. that they don't have. And, and, we see with humans, there isn't a massive conflict that occurs, but their style of interacting and sharing information has led to years and years of conflict with the Andorians. And the humans, on the other hand, have absolutely no knowledge at all about um, deep space travel. Um, mm-hmm. And they have to sort of gain it all the hard way. Um, but the humans have a little bit better ability to um understand and communicate so by the time we get to um united which is this episode that you pulled this image from um the humans by working together with the vulcans and forming a new uh, relationship with the andorians and then um yes there are teller right there as well they played a role i think
2: Somehow. Wait, say that again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just seen if you're paying attention, Larry. Just wanted to see okay. if, you're, if you're still awake. Uh, <laughs> just,
2: just trying to help Jared round out the drinking game. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, take a drink whenever Ali makes a Telluride joke that also triggers Larry. Um, I think there's there's a lot to say about wisdom there as well. Um, again, Vulcans have knowledge. But they don't necessarily have wisdom, and humans might have wis- wisdom in terms of interacting with others, mm-hmm. but they don't have the knowledge. So it's really in that coming together that um, the Federation is able to to do what it does. Um, and it's so, I, you know,
2: but it's in this period, in this era, I I do I think it happened once or twice. I can't remember anything right off the top of my head, but I if they didn't, they should have. Anytime, time Archer and the humans. Oh, I, I have all their albums. Um Archer and <laughs> Anytime Earth starts to talk about something, you know, like, oh come on, you guys, you, you Vulcans, you Andorians, get along. And you should really listen to those Tellerite guys over there. They might be fun. Um stop ignoring them. Anytime they start to do that, I just the Vulcans just need to go, Okay, aren't you the guys that had like a world war less than a hundred years ago? <laughs> it's like where do you get? I mean, I, I like it when they yeah. kind of point that out. You know, it's kind of like, wait, I'm sorry, didn't you guys almost like destroy yourselves? Right. We mm-hmm. almost did too, but at least it was a thousand years Thousands ago. Thousands
1: of years ago, You're right, right, right. You destroyed <laughs> yourselves.
2: Like, a, you know. Anyway, like but when picture- we arrived, like,
1: like <laughs> we arrived and your planet was in pretty bad shape. Um,. So Heidi yeah. mentions Phlox has a lot of wisdom in some episodes yeah. of Enterprise, and Charlotte says, uh, Denobians, Phlox. yeah, uh, Denobians in general seem like a chill, wise species, and I absolutely agree with that. And, uh, that might be, whether that's a Phlox thing or that's a Denobian thing, I, I don't know. Um, but with Phlox, he has spent a lot of time among other species, and mm-hmm. he has spent a lot of time um understanding other cultures and i i think the wisdom that he's gained has really come from that that he's able to draw bigger conclusions and like like a lot of the other characters we're talking about that show wisdom he's very slow to act he will listen and understand first um take some time try to see the big picture and then and then sort of move forward so yeah,
2: yeah. I, I want I I, so here's my wish. So I want so we have Doctor Eli the EMH now. Spoilers. Yes. Uh, at at um, twenty at thirty second thirty second century is that where we are. Yeah. Uh, Starfleet headquarters. I want Doctor Eli to to call up. You know, if he's a truly an emergency medical hologram who's programmed with all past doctors, and now he's got a thousand or eight hundred years versus you know a hundred years. But what a great opportunity to pull – and it, yeah, it would be fan service and it would be so obnoxious, but wouldn't it be cool to see him call up past uh, – like hollow versions of past Doctors and you got you got to see either some McCoy footage or they call in John Billingsley or they call in Sid to um, – or, or Gates to do a something you know historic they were known for. And, um, I mean, Larry, I would love a that. Darwin <laughs> to do a memory <laughs> wipe with somebody.
1: I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love that. They, I mean, I you was. Yeah, they
2: could part of his, uh, program, his memory file of all the best Starfleet doctors, the Federation doctors, blah, blah, blah.
1: Um, I would, I would love to see that. Um, I would love to see a bit more, um, a bit more uh, connective tissue there. Although I think Star Trek: Picard is probably most likely to show us that. Than yeah, I Star know, Trek I know. Discovery I mean, what I said was point. the most
2: fanboyish, fan servicey thing I've ever said. But I, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. it, it is.
2: won't happen and forever. I love it,
1: and I love it,
0: uh, I, and, <laughs> and I, I love and it. I
1: absolutely love it. Yeah. Um Larry, you wanted to. Um, um, there's a Deep Space Tonight episode, but I think we're saving it for a K3 here, unless you want to mention it
2: right now. Um, uh, uh no, 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 it's, it's, uh, well, we had Joseph Sisko.
1: Yes, but
2: there that's was not, an- no, it's fine, that's not K3, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So, um, just to kind of round out, round we're out the so series. so polished
0: today. We're so <laughs> polished. Yeah,
1: I no. Um, I think surprisingly, uh, all of our lifers here kind of prefer it when we're, when we're <laughs> less polished like this. But we're a little um, rough
2: around the edges.
1: When oh. we're rough around the edges. No. Yeah, there's a lot of edges and they're very rough today. uh, uh there's, there's some pretty good examples again from, um, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And so, uh, first off, talking about non-wisdom or lack of wisdom is, uh, is the prophets. The prophets are a good example of they have a lot of knowledge. They don't necessarily have a lot of wisdom and they, they have a lot of humility in trying to understand. They have a desire to learn. They have a desire to, um, to learn through the Cisco, right? They're, uh, their emissary, but they don't necessarily have a lot of wisdom. Um, and so I want to keep making that distinction. Wisdom is not knowledge. You know, wisdom is something very different. Um, a character who I think does show us some wisdom is, um, is, um, I was going to say Jake Cisco. <laughs> he does he gets... in the visitor.
0: Uh, <clears throat> yeah.
1: Um, and not Ben Sisko, but Joseph Sisko. Joseph Sisko. Thank you. Thank you. My mind was going blank for a moment. Um, I have no Car- Oh, no, no. I was, no, no. was going to say Senior Sisko. <laughs> that was not right. Um, Joseph Sisko. In in many moments when when we see him, um, not only in his uh, parenting and telling telling ben to like come home you need to take a break you need to take care of yourself you're working too hard and ben being like dad dad i get it like i'm fine you know in a very like uh father son kind of way um but there's um is it paradise loss is is that the name of the episode larry what's the the name of this
2: episode that's, where military- that's second that's the 2 part. yeah when the the huge martial law breaks out on earth because two security guards are across the street okay that's a budget thing (laughs) i always love that oh my god it's martial law on earth yeah there's two security starfleet people across the street yeah open your door martial law no that's just that's just fred and barney the two extras that are always in every episode yeah (laughs) <laughs> okay sorry i totally diverted from this. no
1: no um uh as little... charlotte says uh cisco's dad is the best And um in that episode um which is which is great it is it is about uh the militarization of earth um i think that episode more than others gets into a little bit of what is a federation and what is starfleet and how are they similar and how are they different and how starfleet is this scientific peacekeeping arm of the Federation but the Federation is sort of the government it's the this uniting body so anyways we could have a whole thing on that but um do you that think
2: that just the scientists or the pawns of the military? <laughs> I don't know uh, decide <laughs> by a Klingon if you do but okay
1: <laughs> I, I am sidelining that whole debate Dave? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um cuz I, I, so, I know I yeah. know we could we could fall yeah I know we could fall deep into that rabbit hole. Um yeah. is is the federation an empire like we could have a whole thing on that. Anyways. Military.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Right. Right. We could we could have a whole thing. Um but oh, the there's first. there's some ways to see his actions in Paradise Lost as stubborn. Um but I think over the course of those two episodes, you see, um, that he really also is speaking from some wisdom as a civilian who has lived on Earth, who knows the values, who knows the line that this might be crossing. And he's able to share a perspective with, uh, with Ben that really helps Ben to under, um, to understand uh the dangers of what's happening here and, and then to later discover this this larger plot that is afoot in um in the government yeah so um I really like um I like uh Joseph Sisko throughout the entire series and um I think he's a he's a bit of a highlight of season seven too. The the early episodes of season seven where Ben is uh, is on Earth. And as Cairo says speaking of season seven of Deep Space Nine, uh, Vic Fontaine is quite a bit of wisdom in much the Gaynan esque way. Um mm-hmm. and, and it's it's gets back to that definition of wisdom of being able to listen and understand, synthesize a lot of information, and share it in a way that really helps someone else. Like that is wisdom. Like a great teacher is very wise in being able to understand where their pupil is. Um, and a great bartender like Quark, like Vic, uh, well, Vic's not a bartender,
2: but no, he said. Um, I think he should, he should just be the E and H, the Emergency Nightclub Hologram. Yeah,
1: <laughs> E E N H. I like that. I know, uh, it,
2: it's search for of <laughs> little adjective there. I was balladeer. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, singer just doesn't cut it. So you have to be more descriptive. So.
1: Oh man, oh. and Jared, I am all on board. Uh, live support, live retreat, Cafe Dumont. New Orleans, oh. Louisiana, I would be what,
2: 100% at the Café du Monde
1: oh yes it is, uh, especially um, Jared, Jimmy a little Buff- story for you okay. first time I was there, I was there for a psychology conference, I never had a beignet before, and um, I was trying to be very mindful and really take it in so I pulled it up and of course, you... uh, of course I was, right and one of the things um, about mindfulness is really being present in the moment and really uh, honing all your senses so I grabbed that beignet I was like oh it's so warm and it feels so uh, crispy and yet soft and then I I, I brought it close and I, I, I tried to smell it and then I inhaled all that powdered sugar and it burned it burned Larry it did not feel good at all the
2: ring of beignets oh, the ring of beignets
1: beignet. I Burns, burns, burns! Yeah. the ring of beignets, the ring all, eras, all
2: genres, we bring it. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, whatever you want, it'll be at the live sport live seat. Um to, to, Should we, to, um, should we move forward, Larry? We, should. Counselor's we should. log. Let's uh, let's close. Let's get out of um, the briefing room here, and uh, we're gonna go into the uh, counselor's log. I'll make it quick because I know we spent a lot of time. Exploring a (laughs) lot of aspects of, uh, of, uh, how to get online
2: through cam. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, um, I'll make this very quick. Um, I've already mentioned a few things before that, uh, we often think of wisdom as something that comes with age and, um, that is not necessarily true, that wisdom isn't something that's sort of guaranteed in the way that we've been talking about it. There are mm-hmm. other aspects of wisdom. So we know that as you age, um, the connections between your memories do increase. So while people who are older, um, they might not respond as quickly uh, like if you if you ask them to remember something their memory not might not be as fast as someone in their 20s but they're able to make a, a greater uh, breadth of connections they're able to see disparate things as more connected and to draw more conclusions from uh, from the events and experiences they've had in life so that that does come with age um, however this ability to um, to be wise in the way that Gynen or Vic, um, as we've been talking about, um, that's, that's something that's a little bit different. And um, w- there's a few things that we can all practice and I'll get into with the um, away mission that can help us all to be a bit more wise. So we know wisdom, a big part of it is learning how to press the brakes on your emotions so you don't react impulsively. We know that's a big part of it. We know that a big part of wisdom is having some humility in, um, in acknowledging that you might not have all the answers and looking elsewhere to gain knowledge and gain inf- information. Yeah.
2: I have no ego to bruise.
1: Nah. Oh, man. Of course. Of course. And of course, Spock is our uh, is our most wise uh, example there. (laughs) You have Um, to steep fingers when you say that, though. (laughs) Um, So, you, you know, it requires a lot of humility and also highly valuing learning. Um, and being open to new information that, that, uh, might conflict with what you thought you knew. Um, it also requires a lot of, um, of tolerating uncertainty and being okay with not knowing, um, and being, sitting with that. And so not reacting, but being okay with the not knowing and trying to gain knowledge, trying to gain understanding, um, and not taking, not reacting on the first thought you have, um, and it also requires a lot of compassion towards yourself that you might not know all the answers, that you might make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. Like, and so as you start to unpack what it really means to be wise and how you can gain wisdom, you can understand how not everyone gains it. Um, we all know. Older individuals who are very wise. We also know older individuals who might be a bit more impulsive and not that wise as well. So that's why wisdom doesn't necessarily come along with age and why... Sometimes, uh, <laughs> the most wiser around us might be people who are younger. Um, as Zahir mentioned with data and the example I gave with how my <laughs> daughter plays with mm-hmm. her toys and how I would not ever approach it in that way, um, either. So I'll leave it at that and I'm, I'm gonna get to <sighs> a, um, Old I'm gonna Souls. get to a, a, what to do in, with all of that in a moment. But before we get to that, uh, Larry, oh. I could really go for a K3 factor right now. Um, you
0: could go.
2: What, this is the new this is the new promo for this. I could really go for a K three about now. Yeah. Hey, could you go for a K three about now? Uh, no, How this could is. Could you go I, for a K three? <laughs> I could really go for a K three. Wouldn't you really rather have a K three? Okay. Um, where'd that come from? Um, I know Buicks. Uh, for those of you old enough, uh, no. So the K three this week. This whole topic about wisdom through experience and or age or whatever. So I was trying to apply that to behind-the-scenes backstaging, because that's what we do in Trekland. We do connect the dots, but a lot of times we also focus on all the folks, besides those actors who look pretty and tell great stories on stage for an hour, but then get them off. <laughs> get them off that, and uh, who cares? No. Um, I was trying to think of a case where someone was bringing... And there's been a lot of... you know, Star Trek is replete with people who You know, Star Trek has always done more with the money they were given. There's always tons of bang for the buck, the most creative. You can be creative, but if you have to spend a billion dollars to get there, the people who would, you know, dumpster diving for set decoration that that John Dwyer would do on the original series that they all keep, you know, all the art people do to this day, apparently. Um, But one, one that I love is the story of the 90s, and it feels old now because we change so quickly. But when visual effects went from all the you know King Kong era stuff, <laughs> almost melee still you know earth to the moon, when visual effects was still models and motion control and you know matte paintings and using vapor for fog and vortexes and all when it was still all hands on and analog before everything went digital, it was built digitally. There was the tension. There was a inflection point in the '90s. Can you put the first one up when when a show like Babylon Five was pioneered. Oh yes, Babylon I was, Five. And I'm I, I, I'm crossing I was the
1: Larry. I was trying to figure out when you sent me this image. What's I'm that? like, what is this from? And it looked familiar, but I couldn't. I couldn't remember. Wait.
2: Uh, make it as big as you can because
1: – yeah, that's as big yeah. as I can make it. So here you
2: go, guys, crossing streams. But in the day, we're talking like the 90s, the early, mid-90s, uh, Babylon 5 was pioneering visual effects, CGI. And they were like, ooh, and there had been CGI in movies, but CGI was like expensive and time-consuming and did I say expensive and only certain people could do it. And Babylon 5, Ron Thornton, and Foundation were trying to pioneer doing CGI effects on a weekly basis. And I know this sounds like ancient history now because it is. But the point was, here's the granddaddy franchise, Star Trek, with two shows on the air, yeah. two series by then, Voyager and and uh, Deep Space Nine, and not that they hadn't used like the the Silicon Avatar was digital and put into the you know and uh, Baby Junior and Baby the spacefaring. Mama and the spacefaring baby that they helped birth. Um, those were CG to, to name two examples. But CGI, the aliasy, as you saw in that one there, it was still early. They were still having it took forever to render out. They would do the program and then to wait for the thing to actually like the the printer, not really on paper, but the, the thing that actually manufactured the file took forever because of the slow the capacity they had then. And I'm talking about the early, like, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97. And there was a big push and pressure on Star Trek. Just every year was a new revolution, right? And things did get better and better and better. And even over the life of, say, Babylon 5, you could see that arc. But they were out there pushing it to be pushing it. And the whole way the show was set up and the things they wanted to visualize was dependent on the freedom of CGI. Oh, it's not a ship on a mounting bar that you couldn't barrel roll. Right, that that you have with the physical model, and there was pressure as we got into Voyager and DS9, and here's DS9 wanting to do space battles, right, as they yeah, get the yeah. Klingon war, and then as they get to the Dominion war, and and Voyager is starting to do. They did things like the jump, the the rubber band effects on the warp ships. That was one of the first times they used digital because it was much easier than what they did originally with the D, which was this expensive process with slits and. You can watch old documentaries about how they made the first jump to warp on Next Generation. But that was the thing. They were adapting digital. But Star Trek's both shows had two teams of visual effects that worked together under Dan Curry. And there were two different uh, supervisors who were the team because there was so much work to do. And they alternated shows. And on DS9, uh, to the two most experienced ones from the first year of Next Gen one of the two on each show, Ron Moore on Next Gen and Gary Hutzel on DS Nine. Gary Hutzel, who went on to work on ba- the new Babylon Five, but Gary Our Hutzel was such a chance for peace. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm getting so in the weeds here, but bear with me. My point here is that Voyager's curve. They were up, they were trying to do more and more with CGI. Yeah. They knew all the problems. They knew that by then, the CGI programmers were all computer boys who didn't know about art, and as Dan Curry once told me, they'd mm. get things from CGI guys that had like a ship, a planet, and three points of light sources. It's like no, there's one sun, and it's all <laughs> gonna be, like bright spot of everything is like three different. It's like they're just trying to make it look pretty, and they're like, yeah, but it has to make sense, guys. It still has to be grounded, and you know. So that old kind, that old time curve, but um, Gary Hutzel. Who was always the senior member on the two DS nine, whoever it was, was was adamant. He was like, "No, we are not doing CGI on my show. My shows will not have CG until it looks till we can do it and it looks decent. And I'm not at the whim of some um, some visual effects house." My point about wisdom here is that when they got to big space battles, Gary pushed the old analog envelope as far as it could, to the point where they were using... See what he's got here? When they were trying to do the Klingon battle of Way of the Warrior. And that was the first big one. Those were all like AMT model kits. They had the big... These. This is is, uh, the same Way of the Warrior. These shots, rather than worry about getting the big models out, which were huge, and if you actually wanted to have 10 or 15 in a shot, you were having to shoot them and light them and... That's like 15 composites and passes, and even if you could pay for that, the bigger thing was time. They didn't have the time to do all that on their on their setup. So he came up. Can you go back to that one where he's in front of the black? Yeah. So they were just doing things like they would get AMT model kits, put them together, and then they would just do. They'd keep them in the background. But that's what half of the, It's like the asteroid field field story. Like just put more in the background, and you're like, wow, there's hundreds. You're only seeing one or two or three in the foreground that are detailed. And he would come up with, based on the wisdom of his years, they even got the, can you put the rotar in docked at DS9? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Here's the ultimate, I just love this story. So the original, there's more more ships in the background. See, but that rather than having one or two, they've made a whole field there. But this one on the left is the one I'm talking about. The original Bird of Prey model, you've seen it, is like four or five feet wide, and it's supposed to Tiny ship, and to put it up against the station, they had to film. If they really wanted to, they couldn't put the same shot. It always had to be composited because the model was as big as the station model, and you right. couldn't shoot the weather live. What somebody found out, probably was Gary, was that the Hallmark Christmas ornament, which was really detailed pretty well,
1: you're kidding.
2: The Hallmark Christmas ornament, was the exact same scale to be in scale when you're at the real DS9 model. And so that shot, oh my gosh! Other, you saw when you saw a, a bird of prey docked at the station. Now it's been enhanced. They've come back yeah. and animated glowing light there in the in the impulse engine behind it there. But wow. that shot, that's the hallmark DS9. That's the hallmark model uh, bird of prey docked at the station because they could put it there yeah. in real life and save all that time. They didn't have to composite them and map them together and all of that. They could just shoot it. And still had to put the starfield in behind and all that. But what I'm saying is, here is Gary Hutzel with a with the CGI revolution and all the pressure to, oh, go CGI. Oh, you can do all this. And he's like, no, it will look CGI. They used to say it looks too CGI-ish when it would alias, you know, and you had this – like that Babylon 5 image. And he said, we're not doing it until we have the technology and I can control the image. And I'm not depending on some – some effects house goes, here – our CGI wizards are giving you this. Take it or leave it, which is what the situation they were in a lot. It's like, can you tweak this, this, and this? Well, we'll do one of them. <laughs> they hated that. I mean, he hated that. He's like, no, I'm, my name is on it. I want it to be my image. And that's a, that's just an internal – the way the industry is, and there's two models of doing it. But Gary Hutzel was one who had been around the analog world long enough. He pushed the envelopes so that they didn't look outdated and they could keep up with doing space battles, even as they weren't just going to the CGI. And that that was a very uh, long free. Uh, uh, it's thought, worth it. It's worth I it. Um, it. Uh,
1: that was uh, the the I did not see where that was headed with the Hallmark. Uh, that's uh, that's awesome because I um I used to get those harm, Hallmark. Um, ornaments not as a christmas tree ornament but just because i love playing with those ships yeah. so much and were some of the most That's beautiful all the way one. you could get a ship yeah
2: Christina. the visual effects guys in our department would every once in a while they would come through licensing because they kept they kept examples or they would yeah. get samples extra stuff and they would as it got into ds not the, the kitbash army well the kitbash are navy i mean the kitbash fleet of ds9 where they all like kit bash things? Well, for, tell like, tell
1: uh, folks what kit bashing means. Not everyone might kit know bashing what that is means. when
2: you take a model kit that's that's manufactured to be a certain way and you modify it. And you might yeah. take a kit and do modifications like if you, I don't know, you want to get a Galar class, Cardassian, and make it a Keldon class and build a new deck for the time. Add a add thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> a thing. Or you might, you know, kit bashing is. is turn, uh, you a, take...
1: enter, turn a galaxy class into a nebula class.
2: Yeah, or you put the third, yeah, or what? You take manufactured kits as was intended and get parts from another kit and yeah. you either recreate something that you saw or you totally cosplay. You model play.
1: <laughs> <cosplay>. <laughs>
2: model play your own ship. And that's really what, and all those ships that you saw DS9 do, they didn't have the budget to have full blown miniatures done. A lot of the space battles had, like, the, the uh, what was it, the Columbia? There's one episode where they took one of the best – and everybody on the staff just sat down and played kid model builder and, and did that. And a lot of the ships that you see in the debris fields, like, oh, it's a ship, you know, best of both worlds. Mike and Rick did this, but by the DS9 time, the entire art and visual effects staff all had a model building day or two where they all just sat down. And they all decaled them. There's a, That's where you get the USS Curry and the USS Eklund and the USS Buckner, which was, was what, the Columbia? the Columbia? the sea ship that you saw in a highlighted anyway that's all when they would do those days they would roll over to licensing and go have you guys got any extra model kit boxes okay Mm -hmm. and they like walk away with 10 or 12 Not only was it cheap to film, they didn't even like pay for the model kits. They would yeah, go over to. I London love City it. And,
1: I love it. Right um, yeah, I, I love these two comments. Christina saying um, your favorite Prime track battles are just guys playing with toys, and then of course here with uh, this isn't a toy, it's a model. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's great. Um, that's great for me as a kid who grew up uh, playing with those models. I am. Um, I, I remember this one summer. I bought, um, I brought a Voyager, a Enterprise D, and um, probably a Constitution class. And I, I painted them all black. I made them all um, matte black. And in <laughs> this, bear with me. Um, it was my way of creating a stealth Starfleet fleet. Because the Treaty of Algeron, you can't have cloaking technology. So I thought, in what way could the Federation create more stealth vehicles? And then I thought, well, don't paint them white. Like, paint them black. <laughs> It'll They'll be a little bit more stealthy. And so uh, that was that my will, stealth that'll fool
2: anybody with bad riders.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and then I came home from college one year. And um I you know, I saved those models for like years and years and years and then my mom like threw them away and I'm like, Mom! That was my stealth fleet and she's like, You still played with that? I'm like, Well no, but like I liked it. It's my fleet. Um so
2: It was uh, it was your youth. It was hours of your youth and yes. Mom, in thirty years people are gonna haul that stuff out and put it on Instagram and they'll be cool. Right, right, right.
1: I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh I love us I saved
2: a... some of my railroad models and I saved some of my structures and I saved two I saved my even though it it busted because it was th- I saved my um, my estes flying model, model rocket enterprise because oh, wow. it, I, I, I had mob- but by that time I was doing the whole spray and mad paint and decals down and putty and sand and yeah. you know do all yeah. this stuff.
1: Oh gosh, uh, I love, I love that. But I love this K3, Larry, because it, it, it really speaks to, um, it speaks to like the wise action, not the cutting edge action, uh, or the wise decision, not the cutting edge decision, but how do we save money and make it work? with the limitations like use the limitations of the format to our advantage this is not hd people aren't going to be able to tell that level of detail um that's that's a wonderful tradition and a lot of
2: production. well i just want to say those when i would talk about using those ships the the hallmark was a standout because it and you you know and you only saw those for, it'd just be like a second or two right right so we still frame everything But that thing about the mask, they would put ships on racks, they would get Hallmark ornaments and like have those same bird of praise and get like a rack and have like five or six like this, almost like you had a stick and you just hung one every eight inches. But they would film that in the background so that like in those shows when you'd see like a fleet of bird of praise flying in the far background, not not foreground. Yeah, but that was like one. They did one pass, one film, one light, you know, instead of having five or six. But finding that bang to the buck it is time it is budget but there was also a quality issue and when they got to what they could do with them he you know like i said he was hanging he not the seventh year the last season of ds9 was when they finally said okay the technology has got the point but i'm gonna have them submit to me and they started using all the huge huge and battles of the last season rcg mostly. larry
1: and that is a great complicating thing Factor Now, because that is one reason why we don't necessarily have the HD yes. um, HD right. copies of Voyager and Deep Space Nine um, with the next generation, the re- and the original series, the, re- the reason they were able to be converted over to HD is all the negatives still existed. They could do high quality um, uh, images of those negatives. So scan they could scan the negatives. Well, at a high-
2: generation original series was built from scratch.
1: The effects, the effects were built. Yeah, Yeah, they they had to rebuild the effects, right? But they were able to easily scan in, um, uh, easily able to, to scan in the negatives. With TNG, they could rescan all the effects and in some areas they had to enhance it. The problem with DS9 and Voyager is the later season, later seasons of DS9, but a more later seasons of Voyager, there was much more a shift to CG. Those original files, you can't you can't use those original files. You have to rebuild all those. I
2: sent you one other picture, didn't I, though, of Gary? Uh,
1: the other picture I have is uh, I'll put it up anyways because you should probably talk about it right now.
2: Oh, I thought I I didn't send you one of Gary standing over a ship model, a wreck.
1: I don't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think you did. I think you did. Um, while I'm pulling (laughs) that up. Um. (laughs) Yes, here it is. Um, I don't know why I didn't show this one earlier. What wreck is this? This is the sound of
2: this is this is Gary. This is a physical. This is like the next to last season. This is from the sound of her voice. Oh, DS Nine Season
1: Seven. And they finally
2: find her ship, but it's wrecked and she's long dead. But the wreckage of her ship on the planet. This was the. This was the. This is the scene. Anyway, it's it's Gary sitting there with the wreckage. It's like half of a Constitution class hull, you know, ripped open. You can see the le- the decks and everything inside. But this was this was just about uh, again. You'd think even a wreckage like who's going to look at the detail? But they they just like look, just put a little rocky, just build that thing, build that model railroad layout mountain back there, and stick this wreck on it, and we'll just film it because all they did was push in. It was just a you know yeah. A landscape. Yeah, and it's pretty I, cheap. Um, Better than doing... Anyway, it was faster for him than doing CG, and he thought it looked better. And Anyway, but that's scary.
0: Yeah.
2: Who, uh, that? One of my favorite. I would love to have him as a guest on Portal 47, but he sadly passed away suddenly. He had one of those heart mm. murmur things that no one knows about until it happens, and he passed shockingly four or five years ago and shocked everybody. Oh. Uh, so, um, yeah. Great loss.
1: Great loss. Um, we... We have so many wonderful examples we could pull from, um, uh, which is an example of this. And one of my favorites, I think it's, I think it's Star Trek three. Um, when the (coughs) enterprise is, um, is entering space dock, there's a little tiny, like, pod that goes by. And, um, I learned many years later that it's, it's, uh, based on, um, a, a shaver kit. It's like you know when you buy a bunch of uh,
2: razors and you get the
1: refills. Yeah, it's like it's it's one of those things. And if you the little nacelles
2: are like yeah, yeah, the of a of a of a throwaway (laughs) razor, a disposable razor. Yeah,
1: and you you won't see it until someone like tells you and you look for it. But there's there's so many wonderful examples of. You don't always have to do things. Uh, this gets back to exactly what Jared said in the very beginning, um, what inspired this whole week's episode. Um, oh, surely not. Just because you aren't up to date doesn't mean you aren't useful. It might not be cutting-edge effects, but it might be exactly what you need in that moment. So, uh, wonderful what do you K3 layer. Yeah. What, yeah,
0: what do you, what do you need to tell the story?
1: For their
2: situation, it's what tells yeah. the story best. Then. Yeah. So I
1: got a quick away mission for all of you. Um, oh, Scott <laughs> says, um, oh, that's from TNG 11001001.
0: Let the
2: chat correct you. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Scott. Uh, thank you, Scott. And thank you, Larry. It was, the for...
2: it was for using the space dock model. That's what you were thinking of. Right, yeah.
1: right. Um, it all gets crossed in my head. Um, it all gets crossed. Um All right, so Away Mission, this is a part of the show where I give you one specific way to apply what we're talking about to your life. So, Larry, the other thing I was thinking about as I uh, refill my coffee, because I am um, uh, running on fumes here today. Caffeine um,
2: depleted.
1: Caffeine depleted, and uh, I feel like my cells are complete. I need more dilithium. Look at this. uh,
2: I still have... I still have... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, thinking about an Away Mission today, I was... um, you know, I was thinking, like, how do I give folks in a way mission that is related to wisdom and also helpful in some way in these times that we're in? And then I just had to remember, wow, um, we're we're in a tough spot right now, Larry. Um, m- in most of the world, chances are, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, your spot is good, and this spot is is, <laughs> is good, but we Let's humanity come. are in a
0: tough spot. All like right that. Now. Okay. Yeah, that.
1: Um the pandemic uh that's that's kind of raging on. So chances are you are in a spot of the world um unless you live in uh New Zealand um and a few other places. Uh um, yeah. chances are you're in a spot where um uh rates of COVID-19 are increasing and um you might be in a spot as some of our European um colleagues here are where uh there is um uh, a new lockdown um and many of us including you and me Larry might be experiencing another lockdown pretty soon so um we're entering a winter we're entering um an, <laughs> another unknown yeah yeah winter is coming um and we're we're entering a um, another tough spot here so <laughs> wisdom i think is really important right now um because there's a lot of knowledge we don't have there's a lot we don't know yeah there might be um there's some good promising results r- coming related to vaccines but we uh, you know the Pfizer this week announced um they've had some good promising results mm-hmm. but that's not peer reviewed research and it's two shots of a vaccine and it's hard to transport hard to manufacture we need a lot of different vaccines we need to figure out which one works best for what ages and what backgrounds and what's easily uh, can be shipped around the whole world and easily manufactured. So there's a lot of unknowns we're getting into right now. It is a time for wisdom. And um, the easiest way to apply everything we're talking about this week, it actually gets to a tweet that you sent out this week, Larry. Uh, You inspired my away mission for this week. And it gets to history. Looking at history can be one of the easiest ways Mm. to enhance our sense of wisdom. And while we might all feel like we're entering uncharted time right now, remember what I said, wisdom is about pressing the brakes, getting a bigger picture, and looking at the patterns um, of information and drawing some conclusions based on that. That's what wisdom is. Um, Larry, you sent out a tweet about, um, I think you re- retweeted a, the History Channel had a, um, a podcast deep dive into the 1918 flu. Oh, right, and, right. Yeah, and that, that actually inspired my away mission for this week is we have many periods in history where humanity has gone through big periods of uncertainty. Our ancestors lived through World War II, a massive period of uncertainty. We can draw... Hope from that. We can draw lessons from that about how people coped with uncertainty there. We have the nineteen eighteen flu epidemic. How did people cope with um uh the rising rates? There was a there was a drop and then there was and not a rise. Cope. And not cope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Similar problems that happened then are happening now. Um And then we can go even farther back in history. There's been many periods of plagues that humanity has dealt with. So what are the big lessons we can draw from our past? Let's put the brakes on all the heat of the emotions of now and look back a little bit. So um th- this is my away mission for all of you is if you feel very um much like you're struggling with going into this winter and the uncertainty, um take a look back at what has been written about 1918? Take a look back at how people coped with the uncertainty of World War <laughs> II. Um, that's something, well, Larry, that gives me a lo- that gives me a lot of hope. Is all of our ancestors lived through the uncertainty of World War II, and um, there's a lot of wisdom we can gain from those lessons and how to move forward with this. So. Um, so there's that. And if none of that works, as Scott said, um, uh, buy an Eagle moss Starship. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> because Not what's all. cool <laughs> is you don't have it on your display shelf. You can pull off the nacelles and shave with it. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Right. So um, with that, Larry, let's move into our hailing frequencies just for a moment. Um, let's catch as up. If we, on. As if
2: we haven't already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's catch up on our conversation. Um, folks, there's, uh, I just want to give a shout out. Um, hopefully I can I can find one of your comments again. We have a new person on YouTube this week. Um, Trek on the Tube. Um, yeah. We've been loving your, your questions uh, and your comments here. And um, uh, Trek on the tube had a question. Your so does,
2: you podcast. yes,
1: yes. Uh, does it take a very wise person to write the very wise things Guidance says or does, Larry? I want to. I want to turn this to you before I uh, give my thoughts on this. What do you think?
2: Wow, I'm going to say no, since uh, she was first written by Mari Hurley. No, I don't. Um, that's not me. He's not around to defend himself. Uh, that's an interesting. You know, there's a there's kind of attack about uh, I you know there's a lot about about the the current Star Treks the secret hideout start the Bur- the Kurtzman era about being so diverse right oh look they're just a diversity pie they're with all the but one thing they're doing it's also diverse in the writers room but part of the diversity in the writers room that I've seen is they actually have writers over 35. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, Michael Shaban on, especially Picard, which I guess is yeah. nice because Picard's an elder. But even the Discovery Room has writers in their 40s. And, and that was a real knock on Hollywood about all these 30 year old kids are running around thinking you had, you know, on one hand, you're too old to write and be with it. But on the other hand, there was a stupid, you know, there's a real simplicity of, of plotting, whether it was a sitcom or even the one hour dramas. And that's one thing that. That like, you know, you had baby the the boys, Jerry's boy, like baby Ron and baby Brandon and baby, um, all of them, uh, Renee and uh, Noreen, but um, you also, but when it started and when things settled, you had a lot of veterans at the beginning, but by the third season, Michael Pillar was around the block. Jerry Taylor had been around the block. Ira had been around the block. He was a young writer, but he was young in his thirties, not young in his twenties you know, when he came to DS nine it had been through four or five or six series and been canceled and knew what he wanted to do. And, and a lot of the people that wrote next generation and Voyager and DS nine, DS nine, and then Voyager kind of swung young. But a lot of people say it takes a certain, you know, experience level of a writer to be able to bring some depth to exactly what we're saying here. And there's a big criticism about Hollywood generally about the writers are way too young in a lot of cases. There are showrunners running shows that haven't had they not only haven't had years, but they've not never lived outside their apartment in L.A. or their house. Yeah. <laughs> like they've never been out in the world and seen the rest of the country, or they're all they're all stuck in their apartment in New York or something, and like they've never experienced the rest of the country, and and it shows that you know, and if, and if they're not writing about a certain neighborhood in L.A. or New York, if they're trying to write some midwestern whatever show or about or, ordinary people that they haven't had enough life experience for whatever reason to get there. And that's – Yeah. I just think some of the newer shows are, are finally – are getting there. But it's nice to have a mix. You always have like the young kids being mentored to come up – and I'm talking about writers here. You yeah. could go for other departments too, but especially with writers. To get back to the question there about writing uh, – how do you write Wisdom for Guinan if you're 18 – not 18 – if you're 25 or 30, she tends to not have been written – by twenty-five and thirty-year-olds is what I'm saying. Yeah. The guys were still young when they wrote like the tail-end episodes of when when Ron and Brandon and and those guys were coming up through Next Gen. They were still on the the thirty-ish side, but I think they'd been they'd been around the block. Ron had been in the Navy. That will you know that will uh, age you. <laughs> so that's that's what I would say to that. Probably. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I think one of um, there's two things that I just want to add to that. Um, uh, Larry, you're right on about how this can be a big blind spot in Hollywood, and it's it's why it's so important to have that diversity in a a writer's room. Because if you don't, um, like you like you were talking about, like if you're writing about um, another region or a culture, for example, like let's say you're writing about the Midwest. If you don't have any experience with that, what you're going to write is probably going to be based on stereotypes. So right. it's, it's important to have diversity of experiences as much as age as well. And um, the best writers rooms, I, I, I think, are those where there is that diversity of experience and You can run things by each other and you can also, there isn't groupthink. If, if you write something that doesn't feel true to the character or the character's background, you can call each other out on that and you can, you can revise. So the best writer's rooms are where there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of productive disagreement. Um, that leads to, leads to good stuff there. So.
0: My
2: point is, in the big push to make writers' rooms more diverse, people think yeah. about gen- gen- <laughs> genre. People think about, yeah, you know, they think about genre. People think about gender, and they think, you know, more women and more trans non-binary. But they think about g- gender, and they think about, you know, race and culture. Yeah. But the, the one of the biggest um, parts of discrimination, of non-representation, has been has been ageism, and has yes. been older writers. And there's lots of. It's like actress, you know, the old thing about when actresses turn, you know, 35 and they're too old, you know, they don't come back until they're grandmas. It's like wonderful leading, that's changed and changing and writing scripts for women and women writing scripts for women. It's been a long, it's been a long road getting from there to here, but, um, one of the biggest, yeah. Things about diverse need to diversify Hollywood has just been that that older that older writer where that didn't used to be like in the fifties and sixties that wasn't the case but somewhere along through the eighties and nineties you know it's competition for eyeballs and thinking we've got to write for you know younger people and all that and anyway but that's swinging back to I think and Star yeah, Trek has um, been in the forefront of that
1: I, I I love that you brought up Star Trek Picard for that it's even a to the point example. where a
2: thirty eight year old is like too old. Uh, You know,
1: what's great about Star Trek is, yeah, you have you have um, a writer's room that was run by someone who's older featuring an actor um, who was much older as well as as the lead. So I think that's that's wonderful. Um, One thing um, Trek in the Tube I want to say is um, if you like I'm I'm thinking about young writers who have written books or write for the Internet or have written um, their own shows or movies. You do need to be wise as it relates to your experience. So those things I mentioned before about being humble, trying to understand, being open to new perspectives, putting on the brakes before you react. All of those things can apply to our own life experiences as well. So. Not necessarily believing your memory of an experience, talking to other people who were also involved in that experience, having an intellectual humility about how you approach your own memories in your own life. Um, that's where a lot of your own wisdom can come. So you can you can be a wise 15 year old. You can be a wise 25 year old. You can be a wise 35 year old. Um, right. It does take effort, though. You have to you have to apply all these things to to your own life.
2: Yeah, I'm just looking at. Maybe we can
1: take one more comment that you want
2: to uh, that you want. Well, I like Charlotte here who said it's younger than. I was just talking about women stereotyping, and she says it's younger than that. She'd say between the. This is what I was trying to say, but yeah, you're specifying. It's even worse than that about women being. uh, (laughs) You hit 30 and you're stuck with a you're stuck with a mom role. You can't. you know independent character anymore so and then right after that galinda is saying and then we have michelle (laughs) yo
1: who is amazing (laughs) and i have no idea where they are taking um they're taking uh, her character uh next but she is uh she's
0: amazing Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone.